Webster's defines cancel culture as a culture in which those who are deemed to have acted or spoken in an unacceptable manner are ostracized, boycotted, or shunned. But let's have ourselves a pocket-sized pep talk because far too often the punishment doesn't fit the crime. And I have a guest in today who knows a thing or two about this point. And you're going to want to hear the lessons he's learned. A pocket-sized pep talk podcast that can help energize your business and your life with a quick, inspiring message. Now, here's your host, Rob Jollis. Today's guest, Des Haig, is an author, eight-time CEO president. I'm going to do that again, one second. Today's guest, Des Haig, is an author, an eight-time CEO and president, having led globally recognized companies such as IHOP, Safeway, and Centerplate. Haig also has served on 20 boards, was an operating partner for Kohlberg for almost a decade and credited for the firm's top two largest returns in a time of transaction. Outside of the business world, Haig has received numerous community leader awards and helped raise more than $100 million for a variety of nonprofits. I'm happy to have you on the show with us. Welcome, Des. Great to be here, Rob. Thank you for having me. You bet. And it's a pleasure to have you here. And I want to dive right in and uh, because yours is an amazing journey. Um, and we're going to start with the book. And, you know, I left the title out, so now I'm going to tell people the title of this book. 15 Minutes of Shame, How a Twitter Mob Nearly Ruined My Life. Now, I see and did some research on you, went through a, a very difficult social media canceling experience. Let's talk about it. Let's And then let's pivot and let's figure out what we learned and how we can help others learn and be more effective and, and, and move forward. But give me a little bit of what, what happened. Well, thank you. Um, and obviously not my finest moment. Uh, 15 minutes of shame is not how I want to be remembered. And that's the purpose of the book. It's to talk about your full life, the resilience of overcoming difficulties. The reality was um, I was walking a friend's dog I was smoking a cigar. The dog saw something behind me. It bolted. It dislocated two of my fingers. I'm I'm a tough guy, I suppose, but, you know, pain is pain. And I overreacted and disciplined the dog. It got captured, unfortunately, tragically, by a security guard who didn't release it for any motive other than to get his boss fired and for his own personal greed. Then the, the video clip went viral. The uh, British Columbia Society for Cruelty Pre- Pre- Prevention for Animals, they wanted to make me their poster child. They didn't care about the situation. They thought, this guy's white, this guy's young, this guy's a CEO, this guy's rich. We are going to use him to raise money at all costs. And so it was bad on bad. It came in bad, it entered and left bad. And uh, you know what? That's enough for me. I have to tell you that I was doing a lot of reading on you. And um, (laughs) I found it interesting that even the judge said the incident has already caused Haig enormous collateral consequences. It did. I would say that um, we've all got a a few minutes of our past, but thank God we don't have cameras on it. but I want to move on. I want to. I want to hear about uh, some of the lessons you learned, um, and uh, maybe we can transition because I really do believe that sometimes cancel culture can almost perform like a mob. So, uh, 
talk about the main message of the book and, and who's the, who's the audience for this book? Terrific. The message really, Rob, is the power of resilience should never, ever be underestimated. The reality, adversity is going to visit us all. Defeat is optional. If you think you can or you can't overcome something, you're right. So choose your words carefully. And I would say that you are never defeated. And that's the purpose of the book. You are never defeated unless you give up. And I say, don't give up. Fight through, stand for who you are. People will rally around the truth and eventually the truth will set you free. And one of the truths in here that um, you know I want to remind people of is $100 million that you've helped raise for charities and nonprofits. I'm wondering what percentage of my audience right now can uh, can claim one one hundredth of that number going to uh, charity. So, uh, you know, again, it's I think diversity is not what happens. It's what we do with it. And wow. uh, and I, I really appreciate your message. Des, have you ever seen the movie Cool Hand Luke? Of course. OK. You know, everybody, I really connect with that movie. And uh, <laughs> everyone you know, thinks it's the egg eating scene. Cool Hand right. Luke. It isn't. It's the fight with with uh, George Kennedy. Is the fight where he's overmatched. George right. Kennedy is a monster of a man. <laughs> and they get into this prison yard fight with gloves right. on. And every time he gets up, Kennedy knocks him down. And every time he gets up, Kennedy knocks him down. But the interesting thing about that clip is it goes on for a while until no one's cheering. No one's, it's very quiet. People are saying, stay down. He will not stay down. And in the end, George Kennedy leaves the ring with. Right. Paul Newman wobbling around and you look at the, the camera was brilliantly shot shows you the guards. And they look scared because they go, oh, they're not scared of George Kennedy. They're scared of the guy who will not stay down. Right. And I think that's part of your message. Yes. Yeah, knock down seven times, get up eight. That's the mentality. And that's what you got to have to win and have a fulfilling life. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And you know, um, it's funny. I, I, people can't see this, but desk can. I, I keep this on my on my desk. It's a it's a stone that says never, never quit. Uh, I I will tell you, I watched that movie with my dad. I think I was ten years old, and I was you know five foot nothing, a hundred nothing, and uh, I remember thinking, and it stayed with me. Okay, I got it figured out now. So for me, I always admire and enjoy talking to somebody who's uh, taken a couple of shots and is still standing. Uh, so good, good on you. Let's let's go through some of the some other things that you can teach this audience right now, because, um, you know, things happen for a reason. And uh, and I know that you're a guy who went through some some childhood stuff. Uh, quite frankly, when we say it happens for a reason, a lot of that toughens us up a little bit. Uh, the, this wasn't the first challenge that you faced. Take, tell me about some of the other challenges you faced. Well, I, I, you know, I would like to think that people don't have childhood trauma, childhood difficulties, but the reality is in a world where it's evil, evil people, evil happens. And, and that happened to me. I was born in Ireland. Uh, my father was English. My mother was Irish in the 60s. That wasn't a great time for interracial, uh, interreligion uh, kind of, you know, relationships. Uh, it ended up with my father's business being torched, set on fire. We fled from Belfast. We split up as a family. 
the people were after to kill my English father at the time. Uh, he left with my brother. I left with my younger brother and my mother. We met up on the ferry. We got to England. So it started off pretty traumatic. I don't remember a thing, Rob. So I, I don't want to, you know, that wasn't kind of in my DNA. What did go wrong from there is after my mother settled back in England, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. I had no idea. Again, we now had, I had three brothers, one elder, a couple of younger, and she just was torn apart in front of us. And that was tragic. But then it got worse. My dad remarried to a raging alcoholic of unprecedented violence. This woman was a hundred pounds soaking wet, but what she made up, uh, what she didn't have in stature, she made up in sheer evil. So within a few weeks of her joining the house and she, she started off as a cleaner and then got into a relationship with my father and ultimately married the guy, she turned from Mary Poppins, nice, to an absolute evil person, what I call in my book, 15 Minutes of Shame, The Darkness. It, it escalated from verbal abuse to horrific violent abuse, you know, to the point where I'm hospitalized. I've got, my, I've got stitches in my knee from a smashed plate. Uh, and then it got to a point where she was beating my younger brothers. And I thought, if somebody's got, somebody's got to stand up or somebody's going to get hurt. And the tragic thing, Rob, is my dad was a bystander in all this. So here I am, and I'm nine years old. I'm just skin and bone. But I'm stood in front of my bedroom door, which I shared with my three younger brothers. And on the fourth night of horrific, on the, after the third night of horrific abuse, I stood in front of that door. And I just said, you're not getting past me. You are not hitting my brothers. And I got the beating of my life that night. And unfortunately, for about the next six years. But to me, yeah. I never used it as a crutch. To me, I'm not a victim. I've used that fear. I mean, my sweat was sweating, Rob. I had, I had palpitations that I didn't think my, I thought my heart was going to come out of my chest. But I stopped myself from fear, knowing that I was the only one who could actually do something in this environment. And I've used that ever since to be a force for good. As you've quoted, the money that we've raised for charities. We didn't do that because we wanted press releases. We don't do it like wear a tuxedo, like George Michael sings about twice a year. We do it because I want to make a difference and be a force for good in this world. And that's why the incident with social media and the whole Twitter thing was so out of character for me because I'm usually part of the solution, not the problem. Right. That makes total sense. And, you know, um, I'll tell you, Des, someday you come to Washington, D.C., I'll buy you a cup of coffee because <laughs> one of the things that you're sharing with this audience, which is so important, is uh, I think one of the biggest tragedies is to live your life like a victim. Um, look what's right. happening to me. Look what's happening to me. Oh, me. Because crap happens to all of us. Not quite at right. some of the Absolutely. levels you're describing, but we all have our stuff. It's what we do with it. And when we get out of the victim head of, boy, it's, you know, life is just terrible and say, well, wait a minute, even in this situation, you've just heard a story that's quite frankly emotional for me to hear. And yet 
What Des does is doesn't make himself a victim. He looks at it and says, you know what? Maybe it, maybe it got me a little stronger. Maybe it helped prepare me for what was to come in life. So rather than drag it around like an anchor, in a sense, you're bringing it up and saying, um, I think it actually may have in an unusual way made me a stronger man, a stronger human being. And that's the opposite of victim mentality. That's somebody using what happens in life and trying to learn from it and trying to evolve from it. And that's who you are. I, I couldn't agree more, Rob. And I, I, I think from my perspective, the number one thing in my life, I give it any advice to anybody, peer, junior, elder, you do whatever it takes. Yeah. And I've learned in life, you know, if you put the effort in, if you do the hard work, usually good things will follow. And you put things into context. I was homeless when I was 15. I didn't get into this, Rob. Uh, after the abuse, uh, my mother, stepmother, when I turned 15 years old, she tried to throw a hot frying pan on me. You know, think about those fish and chip pans. Yeah. It missed me by inches. And that night I grabbed it. I said, if you ever try and hurt me again, bad things will happen to you. Now, I'm glad I never followed through on that, but it wasn't just a, a, a veiled threat. And I left home that night. 15 years old, homeless, and looking after myself. And that's part of, again, do whatever it takes to survive. Yeah. And now we're, now we're talking to an eight-time CEO. So uh, obviously, uh, you know, and again, not that we wish that on anybody, but in a Absolutely sense, no. that's probably part of the DNA that made you the leader that you are. Um, and I applaud it. So let's talk about that. Let's, let's talk about some of the lessons, not, not the lessons of the past, but as a CEO, as a guy who's done this work for charity, uh, tell me what some of your keys to success are. I think I cherry picked one and I said, you know, in an unusual way, one of your keys is just learning how to take, and I don't mean this literally, but learning how to take a punch, meaning learning how to take adversity that's coming at you. What else could you share with the audience of other leaders, other people, entrepreneurs that are listening and saying, you know, I'm looking for a couple of tips. Yeah, I think that the learning to take a punch, hopefully not literally, right. <laughs> is what every person needs to be able to achieve. It's like you've got to roll with the punches. You've got to be able to handle adversity because adversity is coming. If you think it's not, then we're fooling ourselves. The second thing that I would say that I believe has been a differentiator for me, Rob, and I truly believe this, it's never stop learning. It's one of the biggest and best things, and it should be everybody's best friend. So I left school at 15. I had no formal education. I met my wife in Poland. She was heading up PepsiCo Poland at the time. She was my boss's boss's boss. I liked her. She didn't like me. That's why I, I, I worked so hard to date her and then ended up marrying her for the last 28 years. Um, the reality is my wife sat me down when we first started dating and said, Des, if you are going to succeed in America, where I'm from, you have to get yourself educated. And that, to me, was instrumental for my career. So getting educated, never stop learning. You know, you read... I've read probably 300 autobiographies, biographies. 
I recommend everybody should read Gates and, you know, be at Bezos and Musk and all the, all the others, uh, you know, even, you know, going back and learning from uh, Rothschild and, and other le- great leaders and, and opinion formers of society, so much you can get from them. And you, you can learn so much without having to live it firsthand. You can live it through others. Embrace that. When I got my MBA, it wasn't, I thought I was getting it robbed for the piece of paper. I really took on a deeper love of learning from that, from that whole two-year process. And so to me, do whatever it takes. Never stop learning. you got to get your focus on, Rob. I, I, uh, the one thing that we cannot do, we can't be like the starving canary. I always think about business and say, what's the situation? And really understand what is that situation? It can't be an inch deep. It can't be shallow thinking. There's a difference between understanding and knowing. I know my sales is down or my product failed, but understanding why is even more important. It's profoundly important to the process. So I always look at every situation or every, every day. It's like, what's the situation? What are my variable actions that I can take? And then what's the result? So I call that saw. The next thing I think is really important for anybody who aspires to be a leader, wants to take on a company, wants to own a company, it's being able to articulate what your vision is. What do you stand for? I call this process plan on a page. On one piece of paper for every company I've managed for the last 20 years, And every board I've been on, I have what's the vision, what's the objectives, what's the four or five goals, not 50 goals, we're not boiling the ocean here. And then what are the imperatives that you're going after for each one of those goals? And then you track it. Again, you're not in a, you know, a reality, you know, universe where you can force a different answer. You're being very truthful with yourself. How are you doing? How are you performing? And how you how how are you working forward? So those are the things that I think about on a on a consistent daily basis on how do I become a better person? And it actually becomes a better person because you apply that to your life. You say, hey, what's my why? What is my why in life? It can't be 50 things. And I really recommend a book for anybody who's ever covered any adversity, any difficulty, anything in the world that they're troubled about. Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. It's a wonderful book, horrendous story. I read it every Thanksgiving with my wife, and it reminds me of how fortunate I am. Even after I've said, hey, I've been beat up as a kid for several years. I got raped as a teenager, which is traumatic, I can tell you, and took me years to deal with. I've had difficulties in business. I've been cancelled by... Twitter. I've had prostate cancer. My wife's had double mastectomy, breast cancer. My son's had concussion. My worst day is somebody else's best day. And it puts things into context. I love that. Uh, that, that last line of yours. I didn't like what led to it, but I like that fact. You're absolutely right. Um, wow. You know, a couple, <laughs> a couple quick questions for you. One, uh, do you journal? I do. Uh, I, I, if, I if you could see my if you could see my room now, it's dotted around. I've got my journal here. I've got 
uh, I kind of journal, Rob, to be honest, on my iPhone. Now, if you looked at my iPhone, I've probably got 500 ideas right. just jotted down. As soon as I hear something, I like something, it makes me stop and think. That's good enough to me to go back and dig in later and, and, and flesh out my thoughts. So it's a consist, consistent, iterative process. Right. Well, I just um, I had a few guests on and you've been hearing more and more about it that um, one guest that, that I had on recently told me that he was he had um, a coach that was working with him and he was talking about journaling. He said, hey, and he said, tell you what, go find the 10 most successful people that you know and ask them if they journal. And he said, 10 of them will. I mean, you'll be 10 for 10. Right. He got up to eight and he said that was enough. It was eight for eight. Uh, because you, <laughs> I asked you that question because you sound like a guy that really is trying to figure it out. We all are. Um, I keep a journal myself and, uh, and it's very freewheeling. It's, it's, I, if I have little to say, I say little, if I have a lot right. to say, I say a lot. The right. irony is usually when I think I have a little to say, I say a lot more and vice versa, but be, you're, you really are a guy who thinks about what he's doing, who's evolving like the rest of us. I, right. I sure hope so. And um, <laughs> I, I would, that would be my guess that you'd be a journaler of some sort because right. you're methodical about what you're watching and what you're trying to learn from. Yep. So, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, let me, one other real quick point. Uh, I like the, we were just talking about goals. Uh, do you tell people about your goals or do you keep them private? No, I, I think the best thing to me is your goals should always be your North Star. And if you're in a company and if you're surrounded with friends and colleagues, they need to know the goal. Could you, I mean, when I first started my career, I remember, you know, traveling with my wife who was running PepsiCo Europe then at the time. And I'm back in the UK running hundreds of liquor stores uh, for Thresher. And she got sent out to uh, New Zealand for an annual conference. And I remember, you know, actually it was New Zealand and Australia, but I remember going in Australia, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, uh, Sydney Harbour, and we're on a yacht and I'm talking to some of the executives and they say, I said, God, look at the sharks in there. And the guy turned to me, who remained named, and said, I'm more worried about the sharks on the yacht than in the harbor. And so, you know, what I, what's important to me about that and goals is I said to my wife at the same time, what's the vision for the company? And she said, well, I, I'm not really quite sure. And she's a senior leader. And it's not disres disre uh, disrespect to my wife. It's just that I believe that companies do a bad job of verbalizing the goals and the vision for the company. So what I try to do, Rob, as an extension of your journaling idea, every company I join, I do the plan on a page first myself because I want to get my own knowledge. And then I want to validate that with the leadership team that I'm going in to run. And then secondly, our first project with every one of those executive teams is we are going to develop the front page article for the company five years hence. What is the article? There's nothing more crystallizing than saying these are the things that matter. 
these are the things that we say we've done and we think are important to do. And it just relegates everything else to noise. So make sure the focus of the focus on business is the focus. It's the big point. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's instinct versus logic here. I think that um, everything you just said is logical. But our instinct sometimes is to, um, particularly when they're personal goals, is to not share them with others. And if you ask most people why, they'll say, well, because if I tell people, then I got to do it. You know, you wrote a book, Des. I know what it is to write a book. Uh, A lot of people don't want to talk about writing a book because then they got to write the book. I'm no, I reverse I, I, engineer I, that. I, I think the instinct is wrong. I think that's the, one of the main reasons why you tell people, here's what I'm going to do. Here's my goal of five years. Here's where we're at. So what if we don't make it? Um, I don't want to be afraid to because uh, I don't hit a goal. What scares me is not having a goal. Right. So, uh, so you got to so, get it out there. Yeah. So, Rob, I mean, on that point, I'm I'm in the middle of finishing my second book. Okay. And it's right on this point, and it's think your way to the top. Lessons from an eight-time CEO, blueprint to success. And I lay out for each week, so 52 weeks, 52 fought exercises. And again, every one of them is about bringing accountability to yourself because that's the most important thing. You can, you know, and I would say to anybody whose vision and goals are laughter, you'll have the last laugh. Don't ever minimize yourself to fit in somebody else's smaller thinking. Maximize yourself, stand up. You know, I always say hard times don't uh, build character. They prove you have character in the first case. You know, it it would be great, Rob, if we all could buy a spine from Amazon. But we can't. You got to develop that spine, right? right. And that was the point of the book. It's the point because it then brings accountability every single week. You're asking yourself questions. You are following up on activities, and you're driving yourself to the most beautiful thing you can have, and that's a better you. Every day, you are better. Yeah, yeah. It's a, and you you walk the walk. I mean, it's all about evolving. I, and as I said, I think the saddest thing is when you see people who are victims. Right. Oh, my goodness. So you're not evolving, um, but you're just going to keep making the same mistakes over and over again. I don't I don't care about making. I mean, look, I choose not to make a mistake, but I don't beat myself up about making a mistake. I beat myself up when I make the same mistake more than once. You know? Yeah. And that, I, you know. I, yeah. And I think that's what we should do. I mean, if you don't learn the second time, then shame on you. But right. I, I would tell you, Robin, I don't want to I don't want to just gloss over this because I did for the longest time. Uh, allow the Twitter cancellation activity that went on with that situation in Vancouver to make me feel small. I mean, I got to tell you, after all the things that I've suffered in my life, you know, seeing my mother die, the abuse, the uh, the rape, the, you know, the mugging, the, you know, the ups and downs of business, seeing, you know, the illness, I thought that I was ready for anything. What I wasn't ready for is 150,000 keyboard assassins who want to make a snap judgment on you as a person and have got no idea who you are except for one clip that is taken completely out of context. 
And that's what I can't stand about cancel culture. And I love, Rob, what Jennifer Anderson came out with. I just, just saw yesterday. it yesterday. I it saw is, it. I've got it written down. You go ahead right, and do it. And, I was going to do it if you did. That, that's now in my second book as, you know, it's time to cancel cal- cancel culture. We cannot live that everybody in life who does something wrong is a Jeffrey Epstein or a, you know, a, you know, a terrorist or a, or a rapist or an awful person. There's graduations that's lost right. on that mob. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I, I had her quoted as saying, is there no redemption? Right. Uh, and uh, yep. You and I were reading the same article yesterday. It's interesting. I was getting ready for you. You were getting ready for me. Uh, <laughs> give me that new book title again. Uh, just the title you're working with. Do you mind sharing it? Second book or the first? One? Yeah. Second. Second book is uh, think your way to the top. And Lesson, when do you think that's going to be done? It's about two or three weeks. My wife is just doing the final editing now. We're going to send it out to several friends. If you would like to read it in a, as an advanced read, I'd gladly send it over to you. But most likely, my, my first book's not even out until September 12th. So that one's got to go first. Okay. This one will be mid next year to late next year. Okay. I'll do a speaking tour around both of them. Yeah. And then I, you know, and then I'll, I'll work on what's my next big goal. Got it. Okay, that's, that's interesting. That's what happens. By the way, that's what happens to many writers. It takes forever to write the first one, and then all of a sudden, you just get the bug. Uh, just so you know, we we say when you get your first bu- book published, you're an author. When you get your second book book published, you're a writer. So you're uh, you're moving into the writer camp. Uh, well, I've already got the outline for number three and number four, yeah, yeah, so I don't know what you call that. Yeah. Psycho, so you write a psycho. third one, it's jolly, now you're out of control. That's what we call that. <laughs> slow down. Slow down. Uh, okay. So I got a sense of, of what's next for you. I'm seeing it. Uh, how about a, a advice, just a thought or two? Uh, one of the, uh, I got a lot of entrepreneurs that like to listen to the show. And uh, coming from the, those multi-CEO positions years, Give me one or two tips that you learned as a, as I think when you're a CEO, you're an entrepreneur in your own way right. um, that you could share with an entrepreneur. you got to have belief. If you don't believe in yourself, nobody's going to follow you. You've got to then be a good person. Good people can win. Don't be a dick. Uh, you've got to be polite. You've got to get people who want to work with you, who, who, who believe in you. And you got to empower you know, you are not, you know, there's nothing worse than being in a room thinking you're the smartest guy in the room. Don't be that prancing peacock. Get others who are smarter than you to work on your behalf to make the company better. That's if you're a founder, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a CEO, it doesn't matter. Mobilizing, I think Steve Jobs said it best, the one who has the most talent wins. You don't get the talent if you run a mediocre company, uh, mediocrity, if you believe in mediocrity. So nobody should wake up and say, you know what? I want to be a plain Jane vanilla company. Uh, That's not inspiring. So if you're going to do something, do it, follow through, have passion, uh, authenticity, be a good listener, but be even a better executor, you know, be fanatical on, you can have a good plan and great execution And it's better than a great plan with okay execution. There's a difference. 
Oh, it's a huge difference. Right. And I, and I think you've got to have, you know, you've got to have uh, awareness. I always call it around. You've got to have your antenna up. Could you imagine if I'm sat here and I've, and I've done this actually recently, I'm on several boards and I advise several founders and I get people calling me up, pitching me ideas all the time. And I, you know, they pitched me an idea. I said, have you seen this company or that company? Because they're already doing what you you are suggesting. You spent two years researching. So you got to have a reality check. You've got to be a student of business. That means, just think about it. How many laps did Michael Phelps swim? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, or how many ball, you know, serves did Roger Federer do? Or Tom Brady snaps? I mean... These guys are constantly, constantly shaping and honing their game. That's the same for an entrepreneur. Yeah. A, a good idea is not good enough. Yeah, I agree. I, and, you know, you're right, because sometimes we we think we've swum enough laps. Uh, right. And that's when it gets dangerous. So uh, so there, were, yeah. there was a book uh, from Johan Cruyff. Uh, Johan Cruyff, uh, Dutch soccer player in the 70s. I, mean, I think kinda, he actually played for the Washington diplomats or – I'm I'm a Washingtonian back in like the 80s or so. I remember, yeah. He yeah. played in Washington. That's the same guy. Exactly. But he wrote this, he wrote this book called My Turn. And what yeah. he what he describes, and I think this is for every single you know entrepreneur, every single aspiring business leader. What he said, he said, for me to touch the ball perfectly once, once in a game. I have to touch that ball a hundred thousands of time in practice. Mm. So practice is, you know, this is, there's no mulligans. There's no do-overs. You're going in full metal jacket to get the job done, to be the best, put your work ethic in. Hard work should be your best friend. I don't like it, Rob, when I hear people saying people like working at home. The reality is a lot of people don't work from home. They work from the couch and it's not getting it done. A 20-year-old needs to be working with other people and interacting with other people. Make sure that you are inspiring people to want to come into the office to be with you, to learn from you. So if you're a boss, if you're an entrepreneur, if your people don't want to come in, they don't see any value in you. Look in the mirror, figure out what aren't you doing, cowboy up, like I like to say, you know, sometimes we forget, we lose our boots, the horse goes away. That's not being a cowboy. It's like saying, get in there and get stuff done and then follow through. And ultimately, they will benefit and have a better career because of that. If they don't see the value in you, they'll, they won't, they'll, they'll, they'll choose another alternative. I think that's your fourth book. Get back to the office. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, I, it's, uh, it, it's a big deal. And, and I think you miss so many opportunities. I learned so much by being around smart executives who fought differently, who, you know, you interact and you just grab a coffee with or you go for lunch. These are monumental steps in your career that you are going to miss. Yeah, right. There's a, a New York developer who said, when we talk about being in the room where things get done, they're not talking about your dining room at home. They're talking about being in the office, being in the boardroom, being in the conference room. Yeah, good point. You know, I'm, I'm thinking even when we, when we went off to college, we went off to school, uh, what was the biggest thing that was, we were really learning there? We were learning to be socialized. We were learning right. to 
to interact with other people, um, you know, and I also learned some about business and geometry too, but you know, my, my point <laughs> being my biggest education came from growing up and learning how to kind of fit into society. That was one of the greatest gifts school gave me. And I didn't quite get that in high school or, you know, a lower right. school. You, you're marched around, you the bell goes off, you, you, you go to your next box and you step in right. there. Not so with college. You don't have to step in that box if you don't want to. Probably should. Uh, so, yeah, there's a. I, I agree with you. I, 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 I didn't like spending a ton of time on the road, and I'm not adverse to a day or maybe two, uh, you know, in, in a hybrid type situation. But um, yeah, I think a lot of it is being physically present, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that we get back to that a little bit. But I don't know. I, I'm not making the rules. Uh, I just know it really helped me out a great no, deal. And me, I mean, I didn't have your experience of going to college. I left, I left home at 15. I live rough, homeless for a few days, got into a friend of a friend's business, and my life changed. But I basically, for all intents and purposes, looked after myself from when I was 15. I'm, again, not advocating that we should have 15-year-olds all going out looking after themselves. But it does make you stand up on your own two feet. It does make you self-determined. It does make you self-reliant. Wow, does it ever. All right, I got one last question for you. And here it is. What question, I don't know if to ask this one, by the way. What question should I have asked you? Wow. Yeah, I knew that would get you to go. But think about it. Um, what last question maybe I should have asked you? Why I'm a great person, maybe? You know, it's all... <laughs> uh, well, no, I, I... actually, actually, I, I am far more enjoying learning from you as a CEO. So I'll, I'll put some rails around it as a CEO, as a person who's led some pretty good sized companies. Uh, give me one more. What else should I, what else should I learn from you from this? You know, maybe it's about what's the most, you know, if, if you said what's the most important trait of yeah. leadership or you're getting in more into kind of what my second book's all about, but it really basically boils down to, you know, people have got to have trust in you. They've got to they've got to believe in you. You've got to have confidence in them. And it can't be words. They're platitudes. Actions speak volumes. If you say you're going to do something, you do it. If you're going to uh, promote a, an idea, it can't be forced as you. It can't be just the project of the day. You've got to believe in it. And I suppose what it comes down to is in a leader you trust not are you trusted do you trust your team and if you don't mediocrity is going to be in your future if you do you empower people run through brick walls if they want and believe they won't do that if you try and force them there's a carrot stick situation and it's not just you know let's give let's be all nice and all rainbows and sunshine. It's about, you know, how do you really connect with somebody, align the beliefs and care about them, really? Do you care about the future? Do you understand that person? And can you make them be better because of your experiences and your interaction? So I, I think it's more about maybe lessons of running companies, but the reality is it has been a great interview, Rob. You're an awesome guy. Thanks for your time and plugging my book and my second book and nearly my third book. And I look forward to coming on again and hopefully talking more about 
those business letters for the entrepreneur and the business leader. Hey, you, you don't say goodbye to me. I say goodbye to you. Now, slow down there. First of all, I want to tell you, so glad we got that last piece in there. Because, um, you know, as a, as a dad, I think I was a pretty good dad. My kids, I think, I hope they'll tell you that too. Sure. Uh, but one of the things I learned early on was if, if I don't show respect to them, how can I expect them to show respect to me? One thing as a manager, and I'm, you know, and I struggled a little bit as a manager, but I so badly wanted people to trust me. Right. Um, you know, uh, but um, I was more focused on, you know, could I trust them? Could right. I trust them? And you really helped me today because by putting that out there and going, well, I, that's obviously that's the end product you're looking for. But maybe you got that aimed in the wrong direction. And I think that's a great message for anybody listening today. So um, I'm, I'm glad we kind of finished on that point. I think it's really important. And if it isn't in one of those 17 books you got in your head. Make sure you get that one in there because I think I, I think that's undervalued and really important. It's threaded throughout the first book and it's threaded throughout the second book because it's fundamental. It's like breathing. Yeah. You know, you don't think about it, it just gets done. You bet. It's called 15 Minutes of Shame, everybody. How a Twitter mob nearly ruined my life. Comes out in September, but we all know that Amazon and some of these stores there, they, those algorithms get moved on the pre-sales. So I'm assuming we can, we can pre-order it right now. Can't we? Absolutely. Amazon and Barnes and Noble. There you go. All right. So let's pre-order that book. Uh, and uh, we'll keep an eye out on the, the next ones, but we're going to read the first one first. I have enjoyed getting to know you and um, hearing your story. And I think you're a guy who's got a lot to offer desk. And I'm glad our paths crossed. I'm grateful you came in today. Thank you. So am I. Thank you for your time. Thank you. You bet. You bet. Well, we'll do it again as well as we can next time, everyone. Until then, stay safe. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please rate and recommend it on iTunes, Outcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more information on this show and Rob at Jollis.com. <laughs>